welcome back to yet another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the TV and filmmakers, writers, directors, producers, cinematographers, uh, sound mixers, sound editors, production designers, composers, you name it, we talk to them. Um, and, you know, last week, right now we're in the middle of Dances with Films, a virtual Dances with Films film festival here in Los Angeles. But being virtual, you can see these films anywhere you are in the world. Um, last week, we had, we talked about Hawk and Rev, Vampire Slayers, which opened the festival the other night uh, and will be closing it, uh, open the midnight section. The other night, we'll be closing it uh, on the either the 5th or the 6th. Uh, we continue with Dances with Films this week with two great filmmakers. Jesse McCormick, who previously has made feature films, now jumps into digital web series. And it is her web series, Piss Off I Love You, that is in the web section uh, at Dances with Films. And... I've seen some of it. It's hilarious. And then Kel Thompson, writer-director Kel Thompson, joins us uh, to talk about The Terrible Adventure. Uh, it is a family film. His own kids are in it, and he directs them. So this could be a really interesting conversation when, when Kel joins us later in the show. Uh, and, but he's fresh off the West Coast premiere of The Terrible Adventure. It had its premiere yesterday, and then it has an encore screening on the uh, 6th at, in the morning. So kids can watch it. It's on a Saturday, I believe. So we'll talk to him. Uh, we're going to join Jesse in a minute, who is on hold right now. But first, have to have to mention the news that shocked, that shocked the globe, uh, the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, not not just a talent, as I had written on social media. He wasn't just the king of, of Wakanda. He was a king among men. Uh, I was fortunate enough outside of press junkets to be able to spend some time on a few occasions with Chadwick, where we talked about film, of course, but a myriad of other things. Uh, and everything that you imagine that he is, on screen with the public eye or on a press line he is so much more than that when you sit down with him away from the prying eyes of the public or when you've got to put on a quote-unquote show uh, and be your best uh, when talking to press or in other or in other circumstances uh, I will cherish cherish the times that Chadwick and I just spent 15, 20, 30 minutes just talking. Um, and, of course, I was just telling my engineer, Pam, the last time I saw him was last year. Uh, we were both in the same hotel where he was doing press for 21 Bridges, a film that few people have talked about this weekend, but which falls right in line with Chadwick's choices of the roles that he took, where he plays a black police detective and he is uncovering corruption in a white police division in the New York uh, PD. And uh, we casually talked about the film because the whole film was shot in Philadelphia. Uh, so it was fun to get his perspective on shooting in the city in some of the areas. But uh, 
Chadwick will be missed so, so immensely. And, uh, you know, the last thing he told me as he gave me a hug last year was, I'm picking up the tab next time. So, I'm going to hold him to that for when our paths cross again. So, without further ado, let's let's jump into lighter notes today and let let's welcome Jesse McCormick to talk about her digital series Piss Off I Love You. Oh my god, Jesse. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Ah, <laughs> uh, what uh, this is when I first heard the title of the series Piss Off I Love You, I'm like, "Oh my god, what in the world is this?" And then <laughs> I saw the first episode. And, okay, I was laughing so hard I almost peed my pants. Uh, Well, there's no greater compliment. Thank you. (laughs) It is hilarious. The premise is so simple. It's so basic. Um, You play a reporter, a journalist, a media something uh, from the U.S. who is in the U.K., and this is essentially your perspectives in your professional capacity creating a show, kind of like a show within a show here. Um, Exactly. Of, you know, your perspectives of a U.S. person in the U.K. And it's it's a scream. It is a scream, Jesse. Thank you. And you don't just write and direct. You also star in it as Sandy, a.k.a. Murica. Because as we all know, <laughs> when you're overseas, it's never America. It comes out America. Uh, right. So there is so much tongue-in-cheek in here. It is so irreverent. Um, but it's also the kind of thing that we need at this moment in time. We need some levity. We need something funny. And you obviously shot this a couple years ago when Trump was more or less freshly... Uh, elected uh because of some of the of the dialogue within the within the series but it hasn't lost anything as time has passed let me tell <laughs> you <laughs> it's only it's only made the, the words on the page truer where yeah, <laughs> where did you get the idea because you're coming off of a feature film well, you had done uh, expecting with Rada Mitchell and Michelle Monaghan, so that's quite a, a leap going from a feature film into a web series um, with short episodes. So, what prompted this particular series? Piss off! I love you. This subject matter, but also taking that step back to quote unquote something smaller. And less daunting than a feature film. Well, it's interesting you say that because, sorry, there's a little bit of an echo. So I apologize if you're hearing it on your end. Um, I, there are actually more locations in this web series than there were in my feature film. Wow. So in some ways it was actually a bigger undertaking. And because I was wearing so many hats, as you mentioned, I wrote it, <laughs> I directed it, I acted in it, I executive produced it. Um, in, in a lot of and we shot it across the pond. So in a lot of ways, it felt like a bigger undertaking. And 
after I had made my feature, a couple of projects fell through, and I decided, you know what, I can't just wait around and wait for someone to give me an opportunity to make something again. So I created this opportunity for myself, and, and we were off to the races. And what prompted this particular concept, this particular storyline? Um, big difference than expecting, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> well, for a number of things, I since the time I was a very little girl, I've spent a lot of time in the UK, so it's a place very close to my heart. And I've always had great affection for culture clash comedies, you know, films like A Fish Called Wanda, it's one of my favorite films. And because I have so many dear friends over in London, um, I was able to get all these free locations. And so the production value of the show is something I'm really proud of. And I wrote it for my dear friend Gaynor, who is the Scottish character mm-hmm. in the show. <laughs> She's my very close friend in real life. I wrote it for us to act in together. And her daughters in real life play her daughters on the show. So it was a real family affair and a labor of love. And um, it was just kind of the show I, I wanted to see in the world. So I thought, why not make it? You know, how, how challenging is it? We all know, we all know that a lot of productions, they're done in the U.K. Of course, 90% of them, when they're done in the U.K., they're at, at Pinewood or they're in one of the, the other locations that are used uh, that we've come to know through Downton Abbey. Uh, things along of that ilk, but here you're a little independent production. Uh, so how are the logistics for you coming in with permits, things like that? What's that like for you as an independent filmmaker on a low budget, no budget, micro budget project? Um, is it the same kind of hoops? Are you left out there on your own? What is that whole process like? You know, I was surprised. In some ways, there was less red tape to cut through, which was really surprising. And I'll be honest, there were great people working on the project that dealt with things like permits more than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I didn't do that at all. So I, I want to give credit where credit is due. But part of it also was that a lot of the locations you were seeing were shot at uh, friends' house, houses. So we didn't have to deal with permits. And uh, my friends were suckers, and they allowed me to shoot in their places. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. God bless them. I'm so grateful. But you you also have a lot of footage that is uh, just ambient in in nature, you know, of the region. So did you run into any problems, or did you just look like a tourist who was shooting stuff? Well, it's funny you mention that because the opening scene of the show that we shot on Regent Street, which is a major, you know, artery in London. And at one and we did get a permit to do that. And at one point, um, my character is being accosted by a pedestrian and a cop was walking by. and He thought it was real. Oh, my God. So he interrupted the take and it was hilarious. I wish we could have somehow worked that into the, the episode, but... Um, for the most part, we were just left alone. But on occasion, people were like, what's happening here? Well, and I love the one the one little scene where uh, Sandy is interviewing a little girl 
on a park bench, and immediately you see a park, you see a little bench, and your mind goes to Notting Hill and the private little right. parks. Um, can't help it. Can't help it. No, it's exact. That was totally the inspiration. But, you know, the precociousness of this child. I'm being nice when I say precociousness. <laughs> um, yes, I like to call her Veruca Salt 2.0. Oh, <laughs> You just want, I'm, I'm surprised that Sandy didn't take the microphone and just whack her in the head with it uh, as she's talking about how horrible Americans are. And, and daddy says my Americans are illiterate. And yeah. <laughs> uh, but here you are, you've got a, a one camera set up uh, so that you're actually shooting the Sandy show being shot. Um, does that, you know, did that, bring about any kind of looky-loos who had to stop to see that because that's a little more unusual to see a production shooting a production yeah well fortunately very few people were that was a private garden square that we were able uh, to shoot in not so hell very few <laughs> exactly um there were very few people in the square at the time so uh, but we definitely got some looks from people because they're seeing me yelling at this little girl from across the square. Uh, but they they sort of figured out, oh, there's a camera there. This is a production. So, um, and uh, but I did think about that, and they were hearing my American accent, and I was like, I am not helping no. <laughs> the reputation of America right now. <laughs> Well, look, look, anybody that goes overseas right now, actually, I think you are because it shows that not everybody is buffoonish. Um, maybe you just treat children badly. Who knows? Um, so, <laughs> how well, the show is definitely an equal opportunity offender. You know, I, I'm poking fun at the British and Americans, yes. but it's all with great affection. And see, that's always been my motto my whole life. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I, I'm, <laughs> I am not prejudiced to anybody. I will offend everybody equally. Um, and that I, that's one of the things I love about Piss Off I Love You because it it's everybody. Sandy doesn't care. It's, yes. It's everybody. No one is spared here. It's herself. It's it's America. America, not America. But it's <laughs> it's the British. It's everything. You know, something that I, I am particularly fond of with this series is actually Nick Cook's cinematography. You have, just in your first episode, you, you get the beauty of, of that park, the sun, the greens, the colors are fabulous. Um, and, you know, a little girl in parfait colors, it's <laughs> its adorable. Um, but it sets up really great visuals. And with the sun streaming, and you counter that with the inside of Gina, who's played by your friend Gaynor. The inside of her apartment or, or house, which is so, so small... Um, it's it, very claustrophobic in a sense. And with that wallpaper that's on the walls, I, you get almost like a prison, a prison cell feel <laughs> to it. So, uh, you know, kudos, well, kudos yeah, to I mean, Nick. All these characters are living under the same roof. So I wanted that claustrophobic feel. And Gaynor's character, who I mentioned, is Scottish. She's married to a, an Englishman, but they're estranged because he can't afford to move out of the flat. So there's like 
there's there's like a Brexit happening within the house as well as out in the world. So, but, but I'm so glad you mentioned our DP Nick Cook because I just want to sing his praises for a moment. He did such a terrific job, and so did his crew. And he he was such a source of uh, comfort for me because, as you mentioned, I acted in this as well as yeah. directing it, and he was just such a great objective eye for me. And he was doing that while he was shooting. He, he's really a remarkable guy. Yeah, because you look at, and it could have been just the same angle, but he really knows how to move the camera inside the house. I so, totally agree. So that we're getting some dutching. We're getting things, you know, we've got your character of Sandy is flopped on the couch. Hugh comes home <laughs> and flops on the other part of the couch. And the camera is lowered because you've also got that dummy waiter window that separates the kitchen from the living room area. And it's not just a lowered ceiling. It's actually closed off. It's picture framed. But then he brings mm. the camera down so that it's almost eye level with the, with the seating of the couch. And I just thought that was so interesting. To bring that yeah, he did camera such a great down. job, and I, I wanted to make sure that we took we took advantage of that window in between the living room and the kitchen. I was sort of obsessed with, you know, how can we frame that, and and how can we use that as a frame within the frame? Um, and mm -hmm. and Nick was so on board with that, and he just, you know, we talked, we had that conversation, and then he had all of these ideas about how we could expand on that. So it was such a wonderful collaboration. I, I really can't say enough about him. You know, and, and you don't overlook your music in, in here. Um, the, oh, my the, God. The I have to now praise our composer, <laughs> Sherry Chung. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just, I'm so excited about people seeing everyone's work. Sherry did such a fantastic job with the score. And it's, all, it's like another character yes. in the show. Along yes. with London, I feel like, is the character in the show, and so is the music, and, and that's all Sherry. Well, and the music is so upbeat, and it, it fits so perfectly with Sandy's very irreverent and equally offensive attitude about everything. <laughs> um, it, it, really, it really plays well, and more or less mirrors Sandy. Uh, I'm so glad that you got that that was totally our goal oh i i just thought that was just wonderful but the great thing about this is it the whole it's upbeat even while sandy is being equally offensive to all um it is funny funny as a rubber crutch you don't stop laughing uh, oh, uh this is, i really appreciate that uh, this is just this is something that we need to see you know, how long are you planning for all of the episodes to be? Are they all going to be micro-episodes? Do you have anything? Yeah, well, so we shot six episodes right. in all, and they, they average about uh, eight to ten minutes mm -hmm. each, one a, a little bit longer. Each session, I'm sorry, each episode gets a little bit longer as we go. So the first episode is actually the shortest one we shot. But um, they're, they're all in the can already, and my, my hope is that, you know, we can turn this into a TV show. I mean, I, that was really my goal. Um, 
I, I, when I shot this, when we shot this, I, my, the whole mantra in my head was, I want this to look as much like a TV show and feel much, as much like a TV show as possible. You definitely but even though the succeed. episodes are shorter... Um, I wanted it to have that TV feel. Well, you've got that, but it's, it's because you paid attention to your production values. You've got high production values. So it doesn't look like somebody grabbed a camera and just went in the garage in the 1970s. Um, <laughs> well, now I have to also give praise to our production designer, Karis Beard. She did a tremendous job. I mean, we some of those locations you were seeing were actually the same place, just but redressed. redressed a number of times. Wow. So that is the magic of, you know, production design. And that was all Karis. She was fantastic. And she worked with no budget. I mean, I couldn't believe the things she pulled off with no money. But now don't you find, as a creator, as a writer, director, producer, don't you find that sometimes the best ideas come when you don't have the money because you are forced to get creative? Absolutely. I say that all the time. I, sometimes I feel like, you know, the bigger, the bigger the budget you have, the more choices you have, yeah. the more limiting it can be sometimes. Like, you know, when you have to work within certain parameters, you exactly as you said, you have to be, it forces you to be more creative. So I totally agree with that. You know, that's why, you know, you look for the sales at the dollar store. When you've got no money, right. that's where you—that's where you go for your set dress. You go to the ninety-nine cent store. Um, that's exactly right. You know, now what has the journey been like for the series for "Piss Off, I Love You" in turn on the festival circuit? This is a whole different animal that we're looking at now with virtual festivals. Uh, and you're in dances with films. Has the series shown anywhere else? Is this going to be a premiere? No, this is our world premiere. World premiere. So I hope people will check it out. World premiere on September 5th, and then an encore on the 6th. Correct. And you're in the the web section, which is I I've watched dances with films from the beginning go from just having a few things in a few films to expanding to having, you know, dances with kids, to having the, the web pilot sections, music videos, um, which are actually making a resurgence. Um, so I think it's fabulous that you have this venue, this festival, as a place that this particular series can be showcased. Now, do you have any idea how ticket sales have gone so far? You know, I, I don't. Um, but... I, I'm hoping people will come check it out. I have to say that Dances with Films has done a, such a terrific job of getting the word out there. And I can't even imagine what a Herculean task it, it must be to just, you know, get this whole festival online. And I really applaud them. Um, but I, you know, I think ticket sales are going pretty well. But because anyone can stream it, you know... Yeah. There's no limit how many people can watch. And, and that's great because now, whereas before, it's always been you got to either come to L.A. or be in the L.A. area. But now, anybody, you can, you can buy tickets and you can watch this from all over the world. It's true. There are a lot of advantages to it being online. Sadly, it's eight hours ahead for our cast and crew, but um, hopefully they they will stay up. Um, 
but um, I yeah, I mean, I, it is the one silver lining of this pandemic is you know pe- more people are getting to see the show. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any more festivals coming up after DWF or? Uh, we're not sure yet uh, <laughs> what what is happening in terms of festivals, and we're also figuring out, you know, where this the series itself will live. So that that's all yet to be determined. Now, do you have an idea of where you want this web series to land before it becomes like a full length thirty minute half hour sitcom or something? Well, I mean, I there are a number of places I would love it to land, but, you know, somewhere like Hulu that has, like, a quick bite section where that sh- they show, you know, uh, shows that have shorter episodes, a place like that would be, you know, ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, more and more places are popping up that, that uh, stream web series, so yeah. we'll see. Well, I personally think when theaters reopen again, I think that there should be shorts and there should be episodes of these web series in front of every feature film. Um, I think that's a great idea. I have always, I long for those days again. I remember when you had the little shorts before features would start in the theater. And with as many short films as are being made, as many small web series like this, you could take all of your episodes and put it all together and show it as a short film before a feature. Well, from your lips. <laughs> you know, if I ruled the world, you know. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> so now, during, during this pandemic lockdown situation, have you, have you found this to be a creative time for you? I've been interviewing and speaking with so many actors, directors, writers, producers, and editors, editors, they've been able to do a lot of work at home. There are some writer-directors that they just, instead of even trying to get out of a shell, being on lockdown, um, they just started writing and disappearing into fantasy worlds. And they think, and now they're at the point they think, no, that's not a good thing. And then other people are, oh, my God, this has been a great creative outlet. So what what category are you falling into here, Jesse? <laughs> Well, I've definitely been doing some writing on various different scripts, uh, but I'm also now thinking of things I can just shoot on my phone, you know, and I I encourage, you know, sometimes aspiring filmmakers ask me for advice and, you know, I'm, I'm still learning so much myself, but I... I often say, look, anyone can pick up a phone and make something right now. So I'm, I'm trying to take my own advice and think of things that I can shoot on my phone because um, I'm I'm so knocked out by the things people are making um, just by picking up their iPhone. And of course, I don't know if you saw that feature film Tangerine that was oh, yes. on, on an iPhone, and it was fantastic. So that's kind of my brain is. is I'm percolating right now on a number of ideas. (laughs) I know. I just saw a little short film, uh, only a couple minutes long, that, and I I think he's eight years old. Eight-year-old boy did. There's an app now for stop motion. So he shot his film and turned it into into, uh, stop motion. Oh, I love that. It is the cutest thing in the world. 
But it's oh, that's so fantastic. It's amazing, but it's a great way. Having phones and apps that can do so much, it is a great way for people to, you know, have their creative side and work their way up to doing feature films. You know, will we see you go back to features again? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> do you, now, where can everybody, how do they go about getting tickets and finding Piss Off I Love You, It Dances with Films on September 5th and 6th? So, if you go to the Dances with Films website, Which, um, you will see a schedule, and you can either type in the title, Piss Off I Love You, or you can go to the Dances with Pilots section, um, and you'll see that we are in the web series block two, which is, as you mentioned, on Saturday, September 5th at 3.15, that's Pacific time. And then there, there's a live Q&A with the filmmakers afterwards. And then uh, a repeat performance Sunday, September 6th at 3 p.m. Pacific. And, uh, and yeah, we would appreciate everyone watching and voting for us to get the audience award. And there are also a lot of other wonderful projects in the festival that people should check out. Oh, there are a ton of them. I know last week um, uh, Ryan was on talking about uh, Hawk and Rev vampire slayers, which is hilarious. Um, It's in the midnight section and it just, it opened the midnight uh, section the other night and it's got an encore next week. There are some great films this year. And I, I agree. I've been knocked out by what I've seen. And, and, you know, I have to be honest, that's not always the case no. when you go to a festival. No. <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be brutally honest. And over the years, I, there have been some years with dances with films. And it's like, it's like, how did these films get in here? Because whoever picked up the camera should never pick one up again. Um, <laughs> But oh dear. this year, an exception, exceptional. Last year, too, there were some really good ones. Uh, but this year... Yeah, I've known a number of people who have had projects in the, in the festival over the last several years. And it really is... I think it's a great place to discover yeah. independent filmmaking. And, and it's a great way to support independent filmmaking. Oh, Absolutely. And just so everybody knows, the website for the festival is dwfla.com. So they can start there, and then they can get tickets, and then they can even do a Q&A with you after the film. That's right. Come heckle me if you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesse, this has been fabulous having you on the show. I hope you will come back on the show again. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Oh, my God. I have to have you back on. We can talk about film fatals and all that kind of stuff that you do. Oh, yes. I would love that. Uh, Jesse, thank you. And everybody, again, you can see Piss Off I Love You in the Dances with Pilots web section on, Feb- on September 5th and 6th. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. And that was Jesse McCormick, writer, director, actor. Now we're moving on. We're moving on to the family film of Dances with Films, The Terrible Adventure. And welcome, Kel Thompson. Hi, Kel. 
Hi, Debbie. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am thrilled to have you on. I think this is a first for me. Well, no, this is actually a second for me. I have I have spoken with a writer director before, where his children are the stars of the film. Um, oh, okay, good. And, and it it but it was for a very short film, like about a fifteen minute short. This is a gotcha. feature film. Um, yes. The terrible adventure, feature yes. length film, ninety three minutes. Both uh, two of your kids, Olivia and Jackson, are the stars. And Correct. so you're wearing the hat of writer, director, and dad. Uh, Correct. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's three of them. Let, let's, <laughs> let's, I mean, this is a fun family film. So anybody yeah. who is listening now, um, you're fresh off the world, the West Coast premiere that was yesterday that I'm going to ask you about in Correct. a second. But there was still another screening of this film next Saturday. I think it's at 1130 in the morning Pacific time. So it's a great thing. There's no virtual school that day. So parents, if you're looking for a family film that everybody can watch, um, this yes. is a great one. This is a great one. It's a, And it's Sunday. Sunday at Sunday. 1130. Okay. Eastern. Uh, Pacific time. Pacific time. Pacific time. <laughs> yeah, you're in Florida, so you know it's it's Eastern for you. So um, everyone gets thrown off by the time zone. So I'm trying to make sure yeah. it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. But now you had the premiere yesterday. How did that yes. go? So okay, so um, it was really exciting. It's such a unique experience because um, of obviously our current pandemic status in the world today. And um, first and foremost, I want to thank Dances with Films uh, as far as like you know persevering and continuing with the festival. And I told um, I told Leslie last night, the founder of Dances with Films, that it's akin to the book Who Moved My Cheese, where it's like things change. So quickly and they adapted and I'm just so thrilled that they moved forward and had the festival and as far as how it went we had interviews at the beginning we had interviews at the end I had people in my apartment watching the film stream live so it was just a lot to manage really exciting and just really fun because it is really interactive now god bless zoom and all their work because there's a lot of like you get to know people and people get to know you and it's it's a film festival experience but online well, something about the ter- the terrible adventure. I think it's so creative. Um, you have some great themes in here. You've got a theme of global warm- warming, taking care of the environment, yeah. and that the future of the planet is in the hands of the kids. Uh, right. And you really stress that here. There's a contest involved, and the kids are trying to win the contest, but the founder of the contest design these scientific questions for adults who couldn't uh, they couldn't find their way out of a paper bag um right. <laughs> but the kids are smart and intelligent and they understand more and you kick off the film with a great quote from uh, from Greta Thunberg um yeah. and this you then follow through with throughout the film but this is also it's like a mini travelogue through Florida correct uh, you go to all these great places, including St. Augustine, which I just love the this, this segment you shot at St. Augustine. But oh, right. yeah, it's where did the idea for the terrible adventure originate? 
Um, kids are on summer vacation. Parents out there are going to relate to the to the whole premise of this film. Um, Correct. Kids are on summer vacation. Ice cream truck. There's a contest for the ice cream. You answer these questions, and then you have to go and find the next. You know, get into a website and find go on the, a scavenger hunt to find the next coin that le- eventually gather everything. Uh, and you've Correct. got the ice cream man is the bad guy here. <laughs> You're correct. They're, they're the bad guys, exactly. <laughs> so, so, and it's it's very um, astute of you uh, to to pick up on like the underlying theme is much more grandiose than the surface level yeah. comedics that happen in the film. But um, the the theme emerged on a family vacation, uh, like I think about five years ago, and we were traveling. And my background is in video production and you know, somewhat short film and television, but primarily corporate video production and some news. And we just had the idea to to kind of haphazardly shoot kind of a short film about a scavenger hunt. And then so over the years, and we um, outlined it, and then two years ago in the summer of 2018, we I, I buckled down and wrote the, the, the screenplay. And um, but the the overarching theme is about cultivating the next generation mm-hmm. of, of leaders for the planet. Like that's kind of the idea is when we look around, I think so many of us are dissatisfied with the leadership that we have throughout the world. And the idea is to start to introduce concepts in a funny, lighthearted manner to the next generation so that we can start to develop our our next generation of leaders. Well, and you do that so beautifully here because of the slapstick antics that you have happening between right. Olivia and Jackson and Iceman and Chili, our two ice cream men. Uh, yes. It's pure slapstick, so much of it. And number right. one, kids, little kids especially, will always love that. Correct. You know, we we've got we have some fart jokes in there too. Some, some <laughs> you cannot do a yeah. kids movie without that in there. I right. I, I think even the truck kind of farts when it dies. Yes, it does, and it is not the best ice cream truck in the world. Of course, the fact it's pl- it's playing Scott Joplin, the entertainer, I just found hilarious. Well, that's hats off to our composer, Brett James, out in California. And he did all the score, all the music's original. And we have, we do have two songs with lyrics um, that were written by Elgin David, who's a member of a boy band, a comedic boy band called Five Alive. But, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, we, we pulled a lot of resources, but now, the what, ice cream truck music was from Brett James. Now, was it always your intent to have your son and daughter, to have Olivia and Jackson star in this film? Yes, it was absolutely written to have them in the film. Absolutely. Now, how enthused were they about being in the film? So that's a wonderful question. (laughs) Olivia was super enthusiastic about it, and Jackson was a little bit more reserved, but he wanted to do it. If we were going to make the film, he wanted to be a part of it. So that's kind of, you know, where the kids were with it. Olivia was definitely you know, gung-ho from the start, and she was kind of dragging me into the film. And Jackson's like, if y'all are doing it, I want in. So now how does this work when you're dad, but you're also the director, and Mm -hmm. you've got the kids? Where does the dad hat end and the director hat begin? 
Well, that's a good question. And I, I guess um, we've done a lot of YouTube videos and um, the on-camera, you know, skit. Both the kids have had their own YouTube channels. And um, so we've worked together a lot in sort of a, a dad uh, sort of kid like relationship where there's not, I mean, it's like all the places I've lived have been mini studios. Like even the place I'm in right now has like video lights set up for zoom interviews. And, and so everywhere the kids are just used to being around for, it's not, it's just how they've grown up. Mm-hmm. They know me as, you know, having cameras and equipment and audio and they're helping me test stuff. And then we did short films that were terrible adventure esque that, that they started to understand at a very young age you know, how to redo takes and how to act. And, and they Google, they, they YouTube how to, you know, videos on, on how to educate themselves on acting. And just kids are, are adaptive. Like they kind of learn um, like sponges, you know. And so they start to see that the, they start to watch their movies and then they start to see how the actors are doing it. And it's like, okay, they, they got it, man. They, they were just phenomenal. You know, they understood the concept and character arches and, they just did a wonderful job. Now, is there are there ever issues that come up where it's like, Dad, I'm tired. I don't want to do it now. And then director yes. director has to say, uh, we've got to get this scene. We're losing the light. Yeah, so, you know, act, uh, kids are, are like any other actors, right? So you're, you're kind of wearing, um, with, with people in general, you're, you know, just trying to do your best to um, motivate. And, um, you know, with kids, it's, it's no different. But you're going to run into times when, let's say, an actor can't show up or you have to rearrange. Well, with kids, you start to learn that, you know, they could, you can put them in a biplane in Key West and they can start poking each other and having sibling moments and be tired or hungry. And you have to, you know... You can push them a little bit, but you have to be able to say, all right, we're done for today or, or we're going to shift over and do something else. And that, I think that's just working with kids in general. Um, but but there, are, there is a point when, you know, it's like, okay, we can't do any more. It's kind of like with, if an actor is not getting it, you're not going to just keep asking them to keep repeating it until they get it. Like it, at some point you, you have to shift, you know, your tactic a little bit or take a break, mm-hmm. you know, or come back the next day. And that's, the positive and negative of working with your own kids is that um, you have the option to, you don't have to schedule with other parents. You don't have to schedule, you know, around so many other schedules in order to get your cast together. Like it's, it's me and it's my kids. So it's like, I have, you know, if we're filming at our house, then we can knock something out after school. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's advantages um, to it as well as, you know, any kind of like, parenting situation or where the kids don't want to do something then then you can just kind of reschedule that stuff mm-hmm. you know i'm curious what kind of logistic challenges you met uh when filming the terrible adventure because you are on this mini travelogue but you're out there in in a boat that looks like a, a cut off stretch limousine you've got a biplane uh happening you've got a train you're out there on saint augustine you know these are they're public locations, so I'm curious as to logistics that you faced, and did this play into your decisions when you were writing the script as to what challenges you would meet uh, when you went into production? So that's a, that's a great question, and when I wrote the script, I was writing it for the stars. Like, I did not 
and, and I mean like <laughs> the stars in the sky because I was going big with the, the script writing because I didn't want to write something that was boring. Like I've known from, uh, from my film school experience and from watching student films that you have to have interesting characters. You have to have interesting locations. And if you're not going to do that, you're not going to have an interesting film. Like that's kind of, I mean, I, I feel very strongly about having like a lot of interesting things going on in the film, which we did. And um, so logistically, it was very challenging because, you know, I had a very dedicated, albeit very skeleton and green film crew um, that worked with us. We were very few people um, helped on this film. And I had an assistant. Um, Angela and uh, Anastasio and, um, you know, Kyle Barnett. So I had a, a handful of people that were wanted to be a part of it, but weren't experienced filmmakers. So logistically mm-hmm. we had to take an ice cream truck and we had, it didn't, that ice cream truck, I could, I could spend 30 minutes talking about the problems we had with it. Like it <laughs> didn't get off the trailer when, once I bought it, I spent extra money on it cause it was supposed to be great. And it was anything, but <laughs> we had a great mechanic though. Um, but, uh, but so we ha- we put it on a trailer, we'd take it to the locations, we'd pray that it ran. Sometimes it didn't. Um, and, and, um, and yeah, then we'd get an Airbnb in all the locations and we'd map out, you know, we'd have an idea. I, I, of course, pre-scouted all the locations, started developing relationships with all of them way early on. Um, and, and talked to the film commission, like the Key West film commission, the Palm Beach film commission was wonderful. Both. Both of them helped us tremendously um, in filming on those locations. Of course, the private places, <clears throat> you know, we worked with the owners. And then the Castillo de San Marcos, we had worked with the park, um, the Parks and Wildlife Department and pull permits issued there. <clears throat> and But every place that we went, we had to adapt to changing scenarios because we were a small budget production. But usually once we got to a place and we met the, the people involved, the the people on my film set were so charming as comedians that they were it, it was open arms and they would help us to get whatever we needed done wherever it was mm. but it, the logistics were very challenging because we're working with actors that have real you know full-time jobs and um kids that are in school and you know, I'm working around my client schedule so logistics was <laughs> a, a thing <laughs> for like a solid year you know, the science questions that make up the clues uh, within here are so clever, Kel. They are oh, so you. clever. And you hit on the air, the land, the sea. So you're covering each element of global warming, of pollution. You know, what kind of research did you, because these aren't just off the cuff um, clues that you came up with. There's actually science behind each of these. So I'm curious what kind of research you did in writing the clues that are incorporated into the script. Um, so, the, I mean, you know, I think any kind of writing process, you know, it's mostly, I think, I know, I know you have a journalism background, so you're probably used to doing research, but most of it, most of the script writing, you know, was, things that I could just come out, come up with on my own. But the, the clues, yeah, I had to do some research and put some thought into them. And, um, you know, I consulted uh, a friend that is a pharmacist about making sure we had the molecules um, correct mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, the first clue um, for carbon dioxide. And, 
you know, we, we wanted to be accurate and have a science element where, where kids could start to appreciate, you know, science and, and scholastics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we, we definitely wanted to have that on point as it's, you know, as it's a feature film. And we, so there was research put <laughs> into those to make sure that they were accurate. You know, talk to me about your supporting cast there. You've got Olivia and Jackson, but then you've got Santo Curatolo as, as Iceman, as the main ice cream man. You've got Sarah mm-hmm. Dobrik, who comes, who he hires as his new assistant and nicknames him Chili. Uh, we're talking about like a Bobcat Goldwave clone uh, with Correct. his performance. Fabulous. Correct. But a real standout that you have in here, there was Christina Maria Day who plays a character. Yes, folks, her name is I Spy. Yeah. Um, so, number one, it's a really, it, it's an ingenious way to play on the, the kids' travel game, I Spy. I spy something Correct. blue. I spy this, but she actually <laughs> she actually runs a spy shop, and she helps their father hunt them down. Uh, it, so basically, it's I spy. Um, she's a she's fabulous. She is a real she is a real standout in the film. So I'm curious how you went about casting um, Iceman, Chili, and Ice Spy, and how you ended up with the, ca- with the actors you have. And that's a, one of my favorite questions. Um, in fact, most, I mean, all of my cast and crew, I hosted an open mic that were, we closed down for filming, but we're about to open it back up. And I'm a stand-up comedian as well. And I host an open mic in Fort Lauderdale, um, Florida, called Marina 84. And over three years of hosting a weekly show there, I met all all the cast and crew. And um, Santo, Corotolo, Ciro Dobrik are, are outstanding uh, comedians, award-winning cruise ship um, performers. And, and Christina Maria Day um, was – well, she was referred to me by one of our guests, director of photography, Fernando Barron, and um, she came out on one of our first days, and she, she teaches kids acting and is, in, is very involved and dedicated to the film community down here. And um, so, but, but beyond, I don't know if she does stand-up comedy, but beyond Christina, almost everyone, Brett Engel, um, they thought the dad and the, and the film is also a stand-up comedian, award-winning. Everyone performs at the local improvs here, and um, so, you know, that's, that's where I recruited, and we're all friends for years. And that helps. That helps. I think it communicates on screen. Um, you know, talk to me about Brett James and the music. You know, mm-hmm. we, we briefly mentioned him, but talk to me about what you were looking for in terms of the music, because the kids are so dynamic when they're on screen. It's not like they even need an undercurrent or anything, especially Olivia. Um uh, she is she's she's explode she's tnt she's exploding dynamite on screen um she's got so much energy and i I just love the fact i'm gonna google it i'm gonna look it up never mind i'm typing i'm typing it now i'm doing it i'm doing it (laughs) and you can tell at least on screen olivia rules the roost not jackson as the older sibling, it's uh, Olivia as the younger one actually rules the roost. That's obvious. Right, right, right. Um, but so they don't really need music, and the comedy, the physical comedy, 
but you've got music throughout the film, so I'm curious what you were looking for and the collaboration with Brett to come up with the musical elements that we now have. So I'm, I'm curious, are you um, indicating that there's more music than is necessary or that the music's appropriate for Oh, the music's very appropriate. Um, uh, very appropriate, which when you have performances this strong, so often a, the music may be, may be tempered back. It may be calibrated right. down. Uh, but you, you need music. And uh, in my opinion, I think that music it balances out the slapstick comedy that you've got going on. Uh, well, and it's, you know, Brett um, was definitely a find. The, the way I found, we have Brett James and then we have Vitor Moraes, who did all of our Foley and our final sound mix down in Brazil. But Brett James is responsible for the underscore and the original music for the travel montages, all the rock um, stuff. He's, mm-hmm. he's a lead guitarist in his own right, has toured and his band is open for, um, like, I think he said Nickelback. Like, he's, he's a very successful uh, musician in his own right, but has moved to television and film composition. And the way that I found Brett was, um, and Vitor, was through Facebook groups. So Facebook has, you know, niche-specific mm. groups. And I went in those groups for composers and for Foley artists and posted what I was looking for. Um, and, you know, several, like I interviewed like 10 to 15 people in each category and, um, you know, just based on, you know, portfolios and, and, and their enthusiasm for the project, because that's the most critical part in an independent feature film is somebody to have to share the passion and the love for the project. Mm-hmm. And that isn't necessarily doing it for the money because most of everybody else wasn't paid. Brett was paid and Vitor, you know, where I spent money was on my, my post-production, mm-hmm. team, which I did all the editing and the color, but but I had to have good music and I had to have good Foley. And I just knew that that was critical to bringing everything together. And I don't know, I know you've been involved in like uh, film production, but it's like when we did rough cuts and it was a nightmare without, until you get that final Foley and the ADR mm-hmm. and the music in. So back to your question with Brett, um, you know, he has just a real solid knowledge of, of how to inform an audience mm-hmm. um, for what is happening with, within, you know, the screenplay. And, you know, I gave him like misdirection at the beginning and he, he went off on it. It was, it was a miscommunication. And then in, in film work, you find that you can tell someone to go right and they'll go left. You think you can communicate to someone, but you mm-hmm. learn the boundaries of how effective you are as a communicator really fast when you're, doing anything with film work. And um, at first we, we had a problem. I almost went in a different direction um, than using Brett because I had miscommunicated what I was looking for. And once I took the restraints off that I accidentally put on him, he, he pulled this thing right together and did a phenomenal job, gave it a big budget feel, went over the top with, um, with the music while still being like understated. Like we, right. it just has sort of, um, you know, that, that bigger budget film, action film, um, Indiana Jones sort of flavor to mm-hmm. it. And it's just amazing uh, what he did. And he's, he's super busy. And now we were super you know, blessed to get him on board. And when we did, because everyone, even the guys that were paid, did 10 times more than what was reasonable for the project mm-hmm. to, to pull it through. Well, And so the direction, I guess, um, you know, we had some back and forth, but it was mainly him 
having an understanding of of what the film needed. But as you know, it's so it's so integral to the film. I've had I've been doing you know corporate video production for so long that I'm very critical on getting the right tone and music mm-hmm. for a project. And he he got it, and it it's just something that we had to have right. And it's just one of those things that's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. I, I think of it like a compass. There's 360 degrees, but there's only one north, you know? And yeah. if, if you're not on that, the film's going to be off a little bit. It's not going to be hitting on all cylinders. So let me ask you, Kel, because this is your first feature. What would you say the learning curve was like for you jumping into a feature film? Um, that's a wonderful question as well. So the, you know, I've got, um, 20 years of corporate video production experience and, um, editing experience and, um, some basic knowledge and short film work and, uh, film school under my belt, as well as a degree in communication degree, minor in photography. So I've got some things, you know, going for me as far as what it takes to do this but I had never done a feature film. And um, at first, the trick was to film and edit as I filmed. That way I'd know what I needed or if I, or if I missed something. Um, so through the first half of production, I would film and I would edit. Uh, the second half of production, I gained confidence in my shots and my selections, and I didn't have to do that as much. And it was it was nice because towards the end of the film, we were – you know, editing all through it, but um, it was it was half edited by the time we were done with <laughs> by the time we were done with production. Um, so the the learning curve was uh, I I mean I learned a tremendous amount. I don't feel like I was making mistakes in the beginning from a cinematic perspective. I did. We had our hurdles. You know, we we lost footage and um, you know we had our problems. But uh, but as far as like the learning curve is mainly I gained confidence and. Um, and lighting and filming and, and and things of that nature. So does this mean that you'll be making a second feature? I'll absolutely be making more feature films. I, I guarantee it. I, I intend to process this one for a minute and then see which direction I want to go in, whether it's going to be in the writer, director, producer role or if I can be attached to somebody else's project and, uh, you know, as a director, producer or director of photography, you know, I can, I'm, I'm an asset to any production and that I I have a real grasp for the whole concept of filmmaking and, and the minutia and the details and the permits and, and cutting and audio. And, you know, like I would really like to um, help somebody else with their vision, um, or I would like to tackle another one of my own, but it's, you know, um, it just kind of depends on yep. where this one goes, and then then I'll go from there. Well, right now, this one is going to be seen again on Sunday, September 6th uh, at Dances with Films. Everybody can still get tickets. Yes, tickets are still available. Yes. Yes, at DWFLA.com. And this is in the Kids the terrible adventure is screening in the kids pro section. Um, Correct. And I always liked the kids section. I was so glad when Leslie when Leslie uh, added a kids section to DWF a number of years ago. Um, yeah. It's it's she just said she did it for her own her own child. Mm-hmm. So she was telling me last night in her interview after the film. That yeah. Her I think it's her son. 
that are son, um, 16, and um, wanted to have a kid's section. And so so I was so happy when she added this a number of years ago. Well, Kel, this is it's all the time we have for the whole show today. This has been a joy talking to you about you so much the terrible you. adventure. So, And hopefully we will see something again from you soon. And I'd love Absolutely. to have you back on the show when you do. That'd be wonderful. And we're looking for distribution and uh, our website, uh, theterribleadventure.com. And thank you so much, Debbie. Thanks a lot, Kel. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. And that truly is all the time we have today. But before we go, if you haven't seen it, Bill and Ted face the music. You're going to love it. It is beyond excellent. And opening on the 4th on Disney Plus, Mulan. It is worth, if you are a family, you have Disney Plus and it's going to cost you $29.99. It is well worth it. Um, Our reviews are still embargoed. Can't go into, into detail other than to say, it is an ex- it is a cinematic experience, and I can't wait for theaters everywhere to open so that this film can be seen on a screen in Dolby with Dolby Atmos sound, um, because that is the way this film should be seen. But in the meantime, it will look mighty fine in your living room. Trust me, I had to watch it in mine, uh, so. I know, I know how it how it's going to look for all of you and how it's going to sound. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. Mulan on the 4th. Bill and Ted Face the Music is out there now. And for all you adults out there, if you want some really great satire, Rudolf Herzog's film, How to Fake a War. Um, it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And I can't, and this is his first non-documentary film. Um, So I can't wait to see what he delivers next as well. Well, that is all the time we have this week. We won't be here next week. uh, Although in the past we have sometimes labored on Labor Day, this year we are not laboring on Labor Day. So, but we will be back the following week, which, what day is that? That is the 14th. Uh, so we will be back with some exciting guests about a very fun film that I've already seen. Uh, we'll join you then. So until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 